reading from verse 9. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my beloved Son, with you I am well pleased. The Spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness, and he was in the wilderness forty days, being tempted by Satan. And he was with the wild animals, and the angels were ministering to him. Now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee, proclaiming the gospel of God, and saying, The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. May God bless to us this reading from his holy word. Just as an editorial note, you'll notice uh, I'm not trying to be fancy or poncy by using an iPad and notice I don't have sneakers on or anything like that, so I don't want you to think I'm getting too, too modern, but I was given this as a gift to use in preaching and teaching uh, by a, a friend in the States, and so uh, I'm trying to work with that and, and learn how to do that instead of good old-fashioned paper, which I'm used to doing as a fine 20th century guy, you know, I'm I'm a 20th century man uh, in many, many respects. So anyway, uh, wow, uh, so this is great. Back uh, a number of years ago, it's probably about, oh gosh, um, it was when George W. Bush was president of the United States. So you know, it's a long time ago. Uh, I was in Croatia and uh, we were ministering there. And as you know, we've, we spent a lot of time there and we have some very, very dear friends there that we've ministered with. And uh, one day I was sitting uh, with uh, a group of the elders and their wives and, and we were sitting around talking. Uh, and I, I can't remember uh, exactly how we got onto this. Oh, they were talking about American politics. It seems to be a, a favorite of a lot of people and it's the only thing I'm thankful for for Brexit. People talk less about Donald Trump. I mean, that's, you know, an American politics. So that's my only thankfulness for Brexit. Uh, so we were sitting around, uh, and they were talking about politics and what a mess politics were in the United States and, and what a terrible president George W. Bush was. And, uh, and, and I was there, and I said, uh, after, after a while, uh, I said, well, at least he's a Christian. And suddenly, all of the air left the room as everybody went, <gasps> and it was dead silent. You know, there are moments in time when you know that you probably said something you shouldn't have said, and there was this dead silent moment. And Sasha, many of you have met Sasha, one of the lead elders, he spoke very carefully and quietly, and he said, we don't see how anybody who calls himself a Christian could lead his nation into war. And it was really, really powerful. Now, whether or not you agree with Sasha's comment uh, is actually immaterial because that meeting was one of the most important gifts to me in my ministry. That meeting showed me something that was absolutely essential, which I had neglected, I had missed in some way. And that was this, it was the danger 
that I, as an American Christian, was too closely identifying with a political party. You see, in the United States at that time, and it's still very true today, there's a great cultural divide in the United States, and many evangelical Christians, by what we say Bible-believing evangelical Christians, born-again Christians, they very closely identify with the Republican Party to the extent that sometimes Americans can seem to think that if we just have the right political dynamic together, then somehow, then somehow we're going to shift the nation. Somehow we are going to change the nation. And frankly, that is fundamentally wrong. It is fundamentally mistaken. And thankfully, Sasha and the elders there in Croatia, they showed that to me very clearly. I'd already known it, I'd already believed it, but they showed it to me and how it was so deeply embedded in my own mind that I hadn't realized how powerfully that notion was influencing me. And that is a real challenge. It's a challenge not only that I faced, but it's a challenge that we all face as Christians. It doesn't matter where you come from. It doesn't matter what nation you're from, what culture you're from, what people group you're from. There is nobody that has the right, exact right perspective on reality except for God. And we all have been conditioned to think in certain ways, to feel in certain ways, to have certain perspectives that most of us never even challenge. We never even question these perspectives because they've been so ingrained in our hearts and our minds. And this is especially true of us as Christians. Because what happens for us as Christians, especially if you've grown up in a largely Christian context or a largely Christian environment, you don't recognize how your environment has conditioned your Christianity. We don't realize it until we have the gift of a moment with somebody from a different culture, a different background, who can speak in to our perspective. It's one of the great things that I value about City Temple, that we have people from all over the world and many non-Western contexts who can speak words to challenge each of our perceptions of reality. And it's very, very important that we have this. Otherwise, it's very, very easy for us to be deceived by what we've always believed, by what we've always thought. And the challenge for us, really, is that many times, as Christians, we have not really followed the preaching of Jesus here in Mark chapter 1, particularly in what Jesus tells us. This is an encapsulated message of Jesus. He says, the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of heaven is at hand, repent and believe the good news. It's interesting that when we normally think of the gospel, if I'd ask most people in here, what is the gospel? Most of us would probably reply something like, 
It's that Jesus died on the cross so that we could be saved, so we could have our sins forgiven, and Jesus could be our Savior and Lord so that one day we could spend an eternity in heaven. Many of the powerful evangelistic campaigns or techniques of the last 50 years have involved things like going up to people and asking them, hey, if you would die tonight, do you know where you're going to go? And would you like the assurance that you're going to go to heaven? Now, there's nothing wrong with that question, and there's nothing wrong with talking about the gospel in terms of Jesus' death on the cross. It's certainly an essential part of the gospel, but that's not the gospel according to Jesus. The gospel according to Jesus is the kingdom of God is here. Repent and believe this good news. And the reality is, as we will see, that our belief in Jesus Christ and his death on the cross and his bodily resurrection as the forgiveness of sins and as the leader of our lives is just the doorway into which we enter, through which we enter the kingdom of God. It's not the end of the gospel. That is just the beginning of our participation in the gospel. And so we need to understand what Jesus was proclaiming here when he was proclaiming the gospel. Jesus starts out, the time is fulfilled, all is ready, and the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The heart of the gospel is the presence of the kingdom. But what is the kingdom? What is the kingdom? It is not a geographical kingdom. It is not heaven up in the sky. It is not just a global thing. The kingdom of God is God's active, loving rulership in the world. It is that there is a king, that king is Jesus, and that king is ruling in the world now as the leader, as the sovereign, as the Lord, as the only one who deserves our sense of allegiance. And God's rulership, his active reigning, is an act of love on the part of God so that if we come under the kingdom of God, if we come into the kingdom of God, it is better for us. We come under into the love of God. We come under into the goodness of God. We come under into the holiness of God. And God wants to reign not only in our lives, but in this world in totality. And the promise of the gospel is that one day, as Paul says, every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ, Jesus the Messiah, Jesus King, is the Lord, is the leader. Now, to that point, we all are fairly comfortable with that. But what Jesus was proclaiming when he proclaimed the kingdom of God, the active present kingdom of God, Jesus was also proclaiming a challenge to every other rulership in the world. It's not only announcing God's loving rulership, but it's saying that God's loving rulership has set itself up now against every rulership in the world. So God is king, 
not Her Majesty the Queen. I love Her Majesty the Queen, but she's only a temporal queen and a temporary queen. God is king, not Boris Johnson. God is king, not the parliament. God is king, not the Soviet, not, not the former Soviet Union. God is king. There is no other government that really is the king, really is the rulership in the world today. The American government is not the king. The Chinese government is not the king. And this is why, if you want to know why China persecutes the church, this is why they persecute the church. Because the Chinese leaders understand this. That if you announce there is a king whose name is Jesus, that means that the premier of China is not the king. He's not the emperor. That the Chinese government is temporal. It's temporary. And one day, face to face with King Jesus, it's going to fall. And by proclaiming God as king, it is a challenge to every other rulership in the world. And we see that on a global level, we can see that on a governmental level, but we also need to see that on a personal level. If God is king, you're not. If God is king, you are not in charge of your life. If God is king, you are not in authority over your destiny. You are not in authority over your choices. You are not in authority over your life if God is king. And if you are in authority over your life, then God is not your king. Jesus is not your king. And the thing is, you don't have a choice in the sense of you can't be halfway in this. Either Jesus is your king or you are your king. And if you are your king, then you are at odds at enmity with Jesus as the king because King Jesus doesn't tolerate any other kingship now you understand why so many people react so negatively to the gospel because a lot of people understand instinctively that if I surrender to Jesus as my king that means I lose authority over my life. I lose the right to be in charge of my life because now Jesus is in charge of my life. Now, thankfully, Jesus is a good king and he likes to involve us in his ruling and reigning. We praise God for that. We're thankful for that. But we need to understand that he's still king. So I can tell Jesus what, what I'd like to do and where I'd like to go. You know, I could tell Jesus, I can say, Jesus, you know, my two favorite places in the world are London and the Isle of Lewis. There's only two places I'd really like to be in the world right now, London or the Isle of Lewis. And if I had a helicopter so I could fly back and forth, I'd be really happy. You know, so I could say, God, you know, a, a helicopter, a really fast one or a jet would be handy so I can go back and forth. I really like that, you know, but that's up to God. He tells me where I go. I can tell God, you know, God, I don't like things that are hot. I don't like hot weather. I don't like crowded places, and I don't like mosquitoes. And then God's, you know, he can send me to a hot, crowded, mosquito-infested place. It's God. But thankfully, Jesus knows these things, and so 
most of the time he doesn't send me to these things, but it's, it's true. So if Jesus is your king, then you're not your king. And there's no other king. There's no other primary allegiance. You know, my primary allegiance is not to the United States of America. It's not to the United Kingdom. My primary allegiance is to Jesus, who is my king. Who is my king. And so that's what Jesus is announcing. And that's the thing that confronts us. And a lot of times Christians, they, people who claim to be Christians, don't have that sole allegiance to Jesus Christ as king. Now that doesn't mean we don't participate in other contexts. Sure, Jesus as my king wants me to vote where I have the opportunity to vote. Jesus as my king wants me to do good in the workplace and be subject to my boss. Jesus, my king, wants me to be engaged in society for the benefit of society, but Jesus is my king. Okay? Then he goes on and he says something else. He says, repent. Repent. The kingdom of God is here. It's here now. It's at hand. So what you need to do now is repent. And unfortunately, we have reduced repentance. We've reduced repentance to sin. Now, it's a bit like I talked to the kids. Now, that's right, what I told the kids. If we repent, it means saying, God, I'm sorry, I've done this thing which was displeasing to you. I confess it, I'm renouncing it, I turn away from it, and I seek to replace it with something godly that God wants me to do. That's what personal repentance is in a practical way when we sin, and we all need to apply repentance to sin because when we repent, Jesus forgives us and he cleanses us because of the cross. So that's absolutely essential for us, and we need to do that, but repentance is more than just something that deals with sin. Repentance has greater ramifications than just turning away from sin. The word repent there, metanoia, is well known that it means a total change of mind. A total change of mind. That's why we say in, in personal repentance, when you say, God, I confess what I did was wrong, I renounce it, but then you need to replace it with the right thing in order to change your mind. If you don't replace it with the right thing, then you've not really repented according to the Bible. Uh-oh. Don't worry, Andrew, I'll grab him. And, and that's absolutely essential that we do that, that we do that repentance. Oh, come on, buddy. Wow. But also, repentance has to do with a change of mind. And so often, what we don't do, we don't really change our minds. We just turn away from something that we've done that's wrong. But when we repent, the call to repentance from Jesus is a call to a radical change of mind. Okay, let me illustrate this with a, a few little bits here. How, how do we need to change in our nice United Kingdom, uh, maybe Western society? And I can speak out of this because I'm, I'm a nice Western guy. Well, right now in our society, our society promotes what's called scientific rationalism. This means that we make all of our decisions by reason, 
and it's based on stuff that's testable. It's scientific. And if it's not scientific and it's not rational, then we question it. That's why some people struggle with love. But you know, biblically, the Bible is not a scientific, rationalistic book. The Bible is based on revelation. Now, there's nothing wrong with scientific rationalism as long as you always understand that it's always subject to revelation. And so when we repent, we need to say, okay, God, I'm not going to depend on this way of looking at the world for my life. I'm going to depend on what you reveal to me. What about another thing? How about materialism? Materialism, the idea that you know, this natural material world is the most important thing. It's what really uh, it has value and, and, and everything that's really worthwhile is stuff that we can feel, that we can interact with. But the Bible there talks about God creating everything, that there's something higher than this material world. There's a reality that's greater than the material world. And when we repent, we need to be acknowledging the truth as revealed in the Bible. Or how about this, individualism. We have a very individualistic Western society. I need to do the things that I'm called to do. We see this even in the church where people say, oh, well, I, I'm called to do this and, and you can't stand in my way as an individual. I, I need to fulfill my calling in this. That's individualistic. It's just a sign of how we've capitulated to that where the Bible always talks about community. We were always created for community. We were created in community. Or what about consumerism? Consumer, that, that we exist to consume. That our lives are defined by what we can consume, what we own, what we can buy. And the Bible actually talks about servanthood. That it's not about what you can get with what you have, but how you serve with what you have. And repentance means making this shift in our mind. Or how about this one? How about democracy? Now, I love democracy, right? I, I'm, I'm an American. You've you got to you know, be democratic. That, and, and, and I would love to say that democracy, that's the best form of government, and that's the highest form of government. But you know, as a Christian, I know that's a lie. Because the Bible tells me that we're not in a democratic reality we're in a reality, a theocratic monarchy where Jesus is the king. And Jesus is the ruler, not the people of God. And by the way, if you look at the Bible, historically, think about all the, the ways democracy functioned in the Bible. First of all, they took a democratic vote as to whether or not they should cross over the Jordan when God told them to. And they decided that God's way wasn't the right way, so they spent another 40 years wandering in the wilderness. And then they decided to take a democratic vote to decide that somebody should be king. And then they ended up getting into a, a massive mess with the king. And then they took a democratic vote to decide whether or not Jesus should be crucified. That's democracy at work. No wonder we're in such a mess. Now, by the way, that doesn't mean that communism or socialism is any better. It's not. The thing is that government, according to the Bible, is a government under Jesus as the king. Now, obviously, we're in different kinds of governments, and we participate in them. And we should do that, like I said earlier. But we must understand that democracy is not the height. 
The height will be the day when Jesus Christ rules and reigns again on the earth. Or what about history and time? We like to think of history and time chronologically as starting from a beginning, moving to an end that encapsulates everything and everything is equally important. But the Bible talks about time and history in terms of kairos, those opportune moments where God comes and he interacts with the world, such as in Jesus Christ when he says the time the kairos is fulfilled. Now is the time. Now is when God is going to act. Now is when God's going to move. Or we can talk about uh, economics. <clears throat> We're all here and we say, hey, capitalism, right? Yeah, well, actually, there's a debate now in our country. Uh, and so maybe it's socialism. Well, actually, neither one of those really represents biblical economics. Biblically, economics is to provide for the well-being of society. And how people interact is to promote such well-being. Not that everybody's going to be equal, not some communistic system, but social well-being that sometimes we've lost. Or what about ownership? I mean, I'm, as an American, land ownership was a big issue for us. Uh, I, I could never understand this whole idea of leasehold as, as opposed to uh, uh, freehold. I mean, for me, an American, as an American, I wouldn't buy a leasehold property. I need a freehold property because it's my land, you know. Uh, that's, it's about land and, and this. But, you know, in the Bible, it's not about ownership. It's about stewardship. It's about how we care for what we have. Uh, in our society, our society says, well, ultimately, you're saved by your works. If you do the right thing, then society is going to work for you. If you do the wrong thing, then it won't. But the Bible talks about being saved by grace. Uh, in, in society, we're talking about now our salvation in terms of individual salvation. And that's true not only with Christianity, but that's true with Islam and, and Buddhism and Hinduism. Uh, every religion of the world is focusing a lot on individual salvation. But the Bible has always been about corporate salvation. And we are elected as a people. Now, this is just a small sampling of the issues that we face. And the challenge for us is that if we repent, not only are we turning away from our sin, but we turn away from wrong ways of thinking toward God's ways of thinking. And that's why God has given us three essential things, three essential components, by the way, to do this. He's given us the Bible, he's given us the Holy Spirit, and he's given us the church as the body of Christ. The Bible, the Holy Spirit, and the church. And we need all three of those to discern what is out of alignment with God's nature and character in our society and discern how we can repent from that and turn to the truth. If we miss one of those three, we will not get it. We will not get it. That's why it's so important for us to come together as the body of Christ. If we separate ourselves from the body of Christ, we expose ourselves unrelentingly to the isms of our culture and our world that will always lead us astray. So, Jesus tells us, repent. Kingdom of heaven is here. 
kingdom of God is here. It's the same thing, by the way. Kingdom of heaven, kingdom of God is here. Repent and believe. Believe. Now, we spent a few months talking about faith, and you might remember the definition I gave. Christian faith is choosing to trust and act based on a true knowledge of God and God's ways, founded in relationship with God the Father through Jesus Christ the Son in the power of the Holy Spirit. It's choosing to trust and act based on a true knowledge of God and God's ways. And Jesus says you need to repent, but you also need to believe. And unfortunately, what we have done, we have separated belief and knowledge in our world today. There's a lot of people that say, well, I, I believe, I, I don't know that for sure, but I believe this to be true. And so we put those at odds with one another, but all knowledge requires faith. All knowledge requires faith. If you want scientific knowledge, it requires faith in the scientific process. And God has given us the scientific process to discover aspects of his creation. But knowledge requires faith. It's the first step. Always faith is the first step to knowledge. And Jesus says here, if you want to be part of the kingdom, not only do you need to repent, turn away from your sin, and turn away from all of those ways of thinking that are contrary to God and God's ways, but then also you need to have faith, you need to believe, which is to choose to trust and to act. If you're not acting, you're not trusting. If your belief does not result in action, then you don't really believe. You don't really believe. Now I know that you all here, you're doing the stuff because you're here. You believe, so that's why you have given up your Sunday to come and hear, you know, some guy spout off about maybe boring things and, uh, you know, and listen to some songs. I mean, you could have done that at home, right? You could have turned on uh, TBN or God Channel or something like that and got a nice message and heard a better band and, and had all kinds of really cool things happening. You know, you could have done that, but you didn't do that. Why? Because you have chosen to trust and act on the basis of that trust, based on a true knowledge of God and God's ways. So good on you people, but we need to do that. When you go to work tomorrow, going to work tomorrow requires faith. You need to choose to trust and to act based on a true knowledge of God and God's ways. When somebody insults you, you have the choice. Do you, you, know, you whip out your knife or your gun and you take them out? Or do you forgive them? The choice to forgive is a choice that's based on believing. But the challenge for us, if we are to enter the kingdom of God, if we are to experience that benefit, we must subject ourselves to the rulership of Jesus, turn away from our sin and all the wrong ways of thinking as God shows them to us. He doesn't show us it all at once because we couldn't handle it as God shows it to us, and then we need to believe, to choose to trust and to act on that basis. And that's the good news. That's the message. It's not just about going to heaven when you die. It's not just about 
having your sins forgiven, but it's aligning yourself with a new cosmic reality of rulership, God's loving rulership, that says, I'm in this kingdom now, I'm subject to this ruler now, and all other rulers in my life, including myself, are subject to this king, and Jesus is the king. And that must be our commitment. And if you have not made that commitment with your life, then I encourage you to do it today, to do it right now. You don't have to go into any big flowery prayer. You just say, Jesus, Jesus, I surrender to your kingship. I know you died on the cross for me. I know you rose from the dead so that I might have life, so that I might be part of this loving rulership of God. So I surrender to your kingship. Forgive me and lead me and fill me with your spirit. And this should be a prayer not only for those who maybe have never surrendered their life to Jesus, but frankly, we need this gospel every single day. I need the gospel. I needed the gospel this morning when I didn't really want to come to church, when I really would have rather stayed in bed. I needed the gospel. I'll need the gospel tomorrow when I'd rather not come to church, but I'd rather stay in bed. I need the gospel, okay, every day uh, where I'd rather stay in bed. I need that gospel. I need that gospel when, when I'm tempted to say, you know, God, I'd rather do my own thing now. I'd rather build my own ministry. I'd rather choose an easier path. We need the gospel every single day. And we need to surrender to Jesus every single day because he's king. Let's pray. Gracious God, thank you so much. Jesus, thank you for sharing this good news. Jesus, thank you for being the good news. We love you and we honor you and we thank you and we and we just adore you. And I pray, Jesus, that you would begin showing us by your Holy Spirit this week all of the ways that we have wrong thinking from which we need to repent. All of the ways that we have thought we've known the right way, we've had these personal preferences, sometimes we've been arrogant or prideful, all these ways where we thought we know what, knew what was right, but now you're showing us that actually we were wrong. Show us these things and that we indeed might repent and that we indeed might believe, might choose to trust and act every single day this week under the leadership, the rulership, the kingship of Jesus. We pray all this through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.